Hi friends and welcome to another episode of the Oakham Church Podcast. We're in our second of our series as we work through the season of Lent and we're exploring the the details and the story of the book of Jonah. Now the book of Jonah isn't very long. It's four chapters. It takes up about a page, a page and a half of our Bibles. But the book of Jonah is about the whole of the books of the Bible. What we can learn from and the skills that we can gain by reading this little weird story will give us all that we need to know to read the rest of the whole Bible. So why look at Jonah during Lent? Because, see, this seemingly quite dark and serious time in the Christian calendar, why look at this kind of children's story, this picture book Bible story? Well, my job here is to show you that this isn't that, and that this has just as much right to be read during Lent as any other part of the Bible. As I said, the the book of Jonah is about the whole of the Bible, and that's at least uh, what we see as Jesus's uh, high opinion of that story. And reading Jonah is a crash course in how to read the Bible. There's biblical narrative, there's poetry, there's repetition of words, there's wordplay, there's hyperbole, there's there's personification, there's all sorts of different kind of um, literal styles all found just within this very short story. Most people come to the story of Jonah already thinking that they know what the story of Jonah is about. It's about a whale, of course it is. It's Jonah and the whale. Except the whale plays a very small cameo appearance within this story. As I said, stories like Jonah are seen as just stories for kids. But the book of Jonah is one of the most sophisticated one and a half pages you'll find in your Bible. You see, the Bible is big. The Bible is complicated. And the danger is that the Bible becomes a kind of echo chamber, a kind of feedback loop, so that we just bounce back what we are already saying in ourselves. We, We just only hear what we're already expecting to hear or what we've always heard before and if we're not careful we can just prop up our own opinions and prop up our own theories and and just find the things that we've always found there before or only find what we're looking for when we come to a book like Jonah. Now to talk about Jonah is to talk about the whole of the Hebrew Bible and it is to talk about why the Hebrew Bible matters to us as followers of Jesus today. Biblical literature is intentionally written in a very dense way that leads you on a journey to a deeper understanding. And that's my hope for us all during this Lent season, that by exploring this, on the surface, what seems like a very simple and basic book, will actually lead to much deeper exploration going on, not just within the, the biblical narrative, but deeper exploration within ourselves as well as we take this time in Lent to stop and to be quiet and to maybe fast from certain things so that we're able to feast on other things and be able to really take this time in the dark and in the quiet 
and in the waiting and in the, the storms in our lives and in the belly of the fish in our lives to explore and to hear what God has to say to us. So, with that said, let's read Jonah chapter 1 today. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he'll take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. There's a lot to unpack, and that's what we'll be doing um, and have been doing over Lent so far. Uh, but once again, I just want to encourage you to take some time, um, maybe each day during Lent, to read, if not all of Jonah, then at least a little section of it each day um, to see how it's speaking to you in the moment because each time we come to the Bible there's something new for us and um, there's something new that stands out to us depending on where we're at and what our circumstances are that we're facing at that particular time or how we're feeling and, and all this sort of thing this this is how the Bible works that there is something new each morning for us in chapter one Yahweh is the first to hurl which starts a chain of reaction of hurling throughout this story, which sounds quite gross if you think about it. The sailors hurl their cargo overboard. 
therefore their livelihood. This is what was going to make them their money. This is what was going to um, be the living. This was what was going to put food on the tables of their families. And they throw this overboard. They hurl the cargo. Then Jonah tells the sailors to stop hurling cargo and just hurl him. Hurl him overboard into the water because, in fact, he's the problem. He's the reason that they've come up against this storm in the first place. Then we're told that the sailors do, in fact, hurl Jonah into the sea, which, in chapter 2, inside the fish, Jonah says that Yahweh hurled him, which we'll get to next time. Then we have this repeated word, not just of hurl, but repeated word of fear. See, the sailors fear the storm, even though it's actually Jonah who should be afraid. And he's not afraid. He's comfy and cosy and fast asleep in the bottom of the boat. Not a care in the world. And their fear lead them to cry out initially to their gods, to offer sacrifices and to pray to their gods to try and get them out of this situation. And then the last fear is that the sailors, again, having fear, experiencing fear, feeling fear, but instead of directing it towards um, the storm or towards them, their multiple gods that they know and worship, now they aim this fear towards Yahweh. It says that this, the men greatly feared the Lord and they offered sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. The sailors' fear of Yahweh is genuine and, as we just heard, it results in them worshipping and sacrificing and making vows to Yahweh. Now here, when Jonah is confronted a few verses before about who he is and what he's doing here and and where he's come from and, and what this has all got to do with him, Jonah says that he fears Yahweh, but he's not acting like it, is he? He says he has this reverent fear, this holy respect for Yahweh, but nothing so far that we've read tells us that that's true, is it? Yes, he's a prophet of God, but he hears from God, he's given a message, and then he ignores it. He goes in totally the opposite direction. In fact, he's told to go to Nineveh, which is 500 miles in one direction, and instead of that, He chooses the harder route, the 2,000-mile journey in the opposite direction to Tarshish. He says he fears the Lord. He says he fears Yahweh, but it doesn't look like it. And everyone and everything else in this story fears and responds to Yahweh, except the very person you'd expect, the prophet of Yahweh. We have the storm listening. We have the pagan sailors listening. Afterwards here we'll see we have the fish listening. And then later on we see we've got um, a, a plant listening and a worm listening and the wind listening. And over and over again we see in people and things fearing the Lord and reverently respecting the Lord. Except the one person in this story who you would expect to. And that's the prophet of Yahweh. And over and over again, as we've mentioned already, with words like hurl and words like fear, repetition comes up again and again. You have ta- that mention of Tarshish three times in one verse. And throughout this uh, technique of using repetition, you see over and over again, all the author has done is repeat the same word four different times when we're thinking about fear. Fear. 
four different times and it's given us all these layers and backstory and subplots things like motives and history and subconscious activity or inactivity on the part of Jonah there's a quote here that sums it up perfectly by an author called Robert Alter and he says this the spare economy of biblical narrative that's what he calls it it's the spare economy of biblical narrative it's where you can use so little information and so little amount of words and yet still say so much we know what that's like don't we in our lives somebody can just say one word or one sentence to us and it means everything whether that's on a good thing or a bad thing someone can even say so much without even using any words it could be just a look or the not saying something and that speaks volumes to us and that says so much the three mentions of fear from the sailors evolves as well so yes we've had it repeated four times three of those times are to do with these pagan sailors people who have no business being in the bible really at all people who have nothing to do with Yahweh and definitely nothing to do with Jonah but this mention of fear as far as the sailors is concerned we see an evolution of it Starting with them in the storm, they have the fear of the situation. So they're afraid of their surroundings. They're afraid of what's going to happen to them in the here and now. It's this very direct fear. And then it moves on to the, they have a fear of a believed source. And that's their, their fear in their gods that they know. So it's a fear of the, the known unknown. So they've had a fear of the known, the storm, the thing that's right in front of them. Then they have the fear of the known unknown, which is their own pagan gods that they offer sacrifices to. And then thirdly, we move to the third stage, a fear of the actual source. So we have the situation, the believed source, and now the actual source. And that is God. That is Yahweh. That is Jonah's God. That is the fear of the unknown unknown. But he's actually the reason that they're in this situation and the reason that things are happening to them. Whereas on the flip side of that, just to turn things on its head completely, you have Jonah's fear, which is in fact a lie. But even though he's using it in a kind of not not true way, is still actually true, just not in the way that Jonah means it. Because he says, doesn't he? He says, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And even though we're not seeing that Jonah's acting in this way, we say, well, how have you, how up until this point in the story, have you shown that you worship Yahweh? You've heard his voice and you haven't acted on it. Well, you have acted on it, but you've gone in the opposite direction. And since then, while all this storm's been raging around, you've been ignorantly asleep in the bottom of the boat. But yet what he says is still true, that God is the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Jonah here is afraid of God's character. He's afraid of what God will do if Jonah does what God has asked him to do. That's ultimately what he's running away from. Now, the first thing that Jonah, the prophet of Yahweh, is told to do right at the beginning of this chapter by Yahweh is to arise, to get up, which, as we saw on Sunday, he does. He does arise, but he arises to flee. He gets up, but he gets up to go down. 
Jonah keeps on going down, which is the opposite direction of what God had called him to. God says, arise and go. It's up and go. Move in this upward direction in the, in the position and the direction that I'm sending you in. And instead, Jonah goes down. Tarshish, as I said, is repeated most frequently in Jonah verses 1 through 3. So where is Tarshish? What does it mean or represent? Why keep on mentioning it? What, like Tarshish once would be enough in this section, and yet we get it Tarshish, Tarshish, Tarshish. Like, pay attention. So how does that relate to Jonah? And how does that relate to Nineveh? These are all things that we need to be thinking about and asking questions about. And we're going to be digging into that a little bit more on Sunday. So why Tarshish? Here's a little bit of background. Tarshish is one of the sons of Noah. And Tarshish is a a far-off exotic nation. Tarshish has lots of gold. There's a mention of the ships of Tarshish in the Bible. And Tarshish has... In 1 Kings 10, Tarshish has this big shipping trade and, and port place. Solomon sent ships to go and get gold and silver and exotic animals from Tarshish to create his own kind of new Eden. We're told even that Solomon once got 666 talents of gold. Deuteronomy 17 gives instructions for a leader which... Solomon seems to break all of them here, where we're told, don't, um, don't get um, horses and chariots and weapons for, for war. Don't go and get those. Don't trade with Egypt. Solomon does that. Solomon collects the horses. Don't um, get loads of wives from different places. Solomon does that. It's almost like he takes these rules of how to be a good leader and just crosses them each off as he's going along. What looked like a good move and a recreation of Eden with so much wealth and prosperity and wisdom in the days of Solomon now looks like a recreation of Babylon, this kind of false Eden. Every other mention after that of the the ships of Tarshish that we get in the Bible is always in a negative light. So why does Jonah flee to Tarshish? What's the significance And getting on a ship to Tarshish, surely that's telling us something as well. See, that's where people go to get the resources that they need to try and create their own Eden, to try and be masters of their own destiny. And I think the one thing that we need to not miss out here is that as Jonah, yes, he's running away from Nineveh, okay, fair enough, but he's chosen Tarshish, and he's chosen Tarshish for a reason. And it's because Tarshish is where you go to make a name for yourself. Tarshish is where you go to to get the stuff that you need to be able to build your own kingdom. It's almost like Jonah saying, okay, if I've got to do what God wants me to do, one, I'm not going to do that, and two, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to build my own stuff. I'm going to prop things up in the way that I know how to. And over and over again throughout this little book, we see this particularly in chapter four, as he builds his self a shelter as he waits outside of the city to see what will happen to Nineveh. There he is, building his own security, building his own structures. And over and over again, we see this, don't we? He's building up himself, building up his own security, building up his own little kingdom by getting on that ship. And guess what? That ship's going to 
smash and be crashed into the storm and he's going to drown. So then he's tossed overboard and swallowed by the fish. And it's again, he's got to build himself up. So he'll work his way up through the Psalms and pray and and build his own thing. And then by the time we get to chapter three, we see that he's got this idea of what he's going to do. His plans have to alter. He can't run away to Tarshish now. He's got to go to Nineveh. He's got no choice. So he'll do it his way. So we'll see how that goes next time. Um, That's enough of rambling from me. Uh, I pray that you have a good rest of your day. Grace and peace.